uh, like Doug said, for the next three months, uh, we are going to be speaking on the Enneagram, and uh, it's pronounced A-N-Y, Enneagram. Uh, it is a personality typology, as you well know, at least you're going to know if you don't know now. So um, twice this fall, I was the recipient of a training session that cost $1,000. So here's what that means. Everything that I'm going to pass on to you, you are getting for free. That means that you are getting a $1,000 course for free. Now, that in and of itself should make you come, okay? <laughs> a freebie, and it genuinely is true. If you had done what I did, you would have paid that much. All right, so this training that I received, uh, it is offered once a year in China, in Germany, in Helsinki, Finland, in Sydney, Australia, Australia, in Lisbon, Portugal, in Madrid, Spain, in Pretoria, South Africa, in Boulder, Colorado, in Montreal, Canada, in Menlo Park, California, and in little old Montreat, North Carolina. <laughs> Yay, Montreat! Go figure, you know? My goodness. So again, 6.30 this Wednesday, come. <clears throat> this Wednesday, we're going to be studying type 2, which is the first of the heart triad, which you will find out a little bit more about in a minute. All right. Now, after we do this building blocks of each type, we will then, those of you who are interested and those of you who self-identify as a certain type, will then be invited to come and sit on a panel. And this is one of the most uh, fun parts of it all, because when you sit on a panel, we will then talk to you and ask you, what is it like being you? What is it like being a four? What is it like living inside your body? And there, there's just something that goes on in those panels that is just an entirely different life dynamic. It's sort of like uh, when you have finally learned addition and subtraction and multiplication and division, then all of a sudden, eventually, you can build a building. So we are going to learn addition metaphorically, subtraction, multiplication. Each time we learn a type, we will be learning something. And then when they all come together, that's when we will be able to actually build something, a relationship, maturity. So this is going to be exciting. <clears throat> now, I am the kind of person who has to know the why, and so I'm going to inflict upon you my need. And my need is I have to know why. And so now you're going to find out why we are doing this. <clears throat> and the reason why is because we would like to learn how to love effectively. We want to learn how to love ourselves. We want to learn how to love you. And we want to learn how to love God. But here's the problem we run into with loving, with the giving and receiving of love. Our perspectives are limited and distorted. We can't see well. And if we can't see well, why in the world do we think that we're going to love well? So, I'm going to give you a metaphor. Let's pretend we all live in the middle of little tiny forests that are movable. LMFs, little movable forests. Now, in the middle of our little movable forests is a control center where we sit and we maneuver control sticks when we want to move. And sometimes we sit and move our little control sticks, and our forests move. And sometimes we leave our control centers, and we go to the edge of our forests, and we visit with the edge of other people's forests. 
Now, if we are self-aware, we know what the bark on our trees look like. We know where the moss grows. We know which birds come and go and when. And we know which bugs make their home where. Now, what we don't know is how do our little movable forests, how are they experienced by other little movable forests? And what we don't know is why do some little movable forests have different hues, different colors than other movable forests? Do the different colors mean anything? Are they inherent? What is it like to be on the receiving end of me? What is it like when my little movable forest bumps up against your little movable forest? And why does your little movable forest do the things that it does? And is there some general repeating pattern that if we could figure it out would cause us to be able to relate with kindness and genuineness and mercy and grace? Now, I use the metaphor of a little movable forest because we literally can't see the forest for the trees. And most of us can't see the trees either. I cannot see your forest for my trees. For that matter, I can't see my forest for my trees. And as I said before, if our perceptions are limited and distorted, and if we can't see well, Why do we think that we are going to be able to love well? So I'm going to propose to you that when we improve our vision, our seeing, we will improve our ability to love ourselves, love others, and to love our God. So we are offering the study of the Enneagram as a way of improving our vision, as a way of learning to see our trees as a way of learning to make sense of your colors and my colors. A way of learning to see both the trees and the forest. So that is the why. Now I'm going to give you the what. The Enneagram says that we all have three centers of intelligence. We have the head, we have the heart, and we have the body. Now, because we live in America, as far as Americans are concerned, there's only one center of intelligence, and that's the head. But we do have three. Everybody has three. The heart is a center of intelligence. You ignore your heart at your own peril. Your body is a center of intelligence, and those who have learned to listen to their body do well. And, of course, we know that our brain, who wants to tell us that they are their only intelligence center, It is an intelligence center, but it's only one of three. And because of that, understanding our personality type helps us to understand that we're not all the same, to understand that we have different motivations, values, and priorities. We communicate more effectively as a result of this, and we learn to treat ourselves and others with compassion and tolerance. So this is uh, the Enneagram. In my mind, I immediately go to the pentagram, And uh, this is not the pentagram, okay? Penta is five for Greek, and gram is model. This is not the pentagram. This is the Enneagram. Enne meaning nine, gram meaning not model. So this is what it looks like. They both have circles, they both have triangles, but they have nothing to do with each other. 
Um, they actually, this is actually based on the virtues and the vices. And Doug put something up on Facebook about the seven virtues, and the seven virtues are actually on this, these numbers. And the corresponding vice is also on these numbers. Uh, there are two more which uh, are very, very general and apply to everybody, and that is fear and deceit. Fear is on the six, and deceit is on the three. And then if you get the other seven virtues, they correspond to each number. So, any of, there are nine. There's nine virtues and there's nine vices. And this is the system with which we come into the world. We have them all, but we have one more than any other. So, and they have found out that there are nine virtues and vice pairs, but that as there is a, a pairing, that each, there's three that have different uh, motivations. In other words, each three types, they do things differently, but they all do it from the same motive. So they have divided it up into three. The eight, nine, and ones are called the gut center or the instinct, instinctive center. The two, threes, and fours that do life out of their feeling center. And the five, six, and sevens do life out of the thinking center. The feeling centers, types two, three, and four, the feeling center issues are, they are concerned with their self-image. They seek attention and affirmation. Their ego is concerned with the creation of an identity, as in type two are givers, and they create an identity by pleasing others. Type three are performers. They achieve success in order to create an identity. And type fours are romantics. They find significance of self by creating an identity with another. Now, these people, as I said before, they're feeling-based. They empathize. And the heart is a place that is very important for them, and positive and negative emotions are very important to them. Their focus is on success and relationships. They perform up to expectations of the job and people. The energy of these groups um, move them towards others. But interestingly enough, these people actually have no genuine access to their own feelings initially. They experience themselves only in reaction to the feelings or behavioral modes of others. They can't stay by themselves easily, and they increasingly develop activities to secure the devotion and attention of others. They are unconsciously concerned with prestige and image. And they usually have a well-defined sense of responsibility. And their access to God often takes place by way of community. All right, the thinking center types 5, 6, and 7. The thinking center issues are we are concerned with strategies and plans. We seek security our ego is concerned with the creation of a sense of safety and support. So this type five, the observer, they feel safe and they feel supported when they can figure things out on their own. Type six, the loyal skeptics, they have a sense of safety and support when they have authority figures they can look to. And type seven, the enthusiasts, they have a sense of safety um, by creating lots and lots of activities, lots of experiences. Again, they lead with ideas, with perceptions, and with plans. They emphasize the gathering of information and figuring things out. Their focus is on creating certainty and safety. 
Their energy draws them away from others. And in every situation, the members of this group first take a step back to reflect. The fives do it the most and the sevens do it the least. They hide their tender feelings behind a facade of objectivity and uninvolvement. All right, so that's the thinking center, the five, six, and sevens. The instinctive types, the instinctive centers, eight, nines, and ones. They are concerned with independence. They seek autonomy, and their ego says that if I have boundaries, I am fine. So type eight, the boss. They, in order to create boundaries, control their environment. Type nines, the mediators, not meditators, the mediators. Their boundaries express themselves by holding back from their environment. And the type ones, they are the perfectionists. Uh, Their boundaries are concerned with remaking their environment. These types lead with their body. Their focus is on being in control of themselves and their environment. And they take action in practical ways. They have to know who is in charge. And they are concerned with power and justice. Gut people live in the present. They remember the past and they hope a lot from the future. Gut people are consciously or unconsciously ruled by aggression initially. And initially they have little access to their anxiety and their fear. All right, so those are the three centers of intelligence. Now let's go to a practical benefit. Is there any practical benefit in knowing the Enneagram? In other words, if I teach you to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, can we actually build a building with what we know? And I will say to you, very much, yes, very much. So let me give you an example, a recent example in my life. A mother and a father and a teenage daughter have just come across the Enneagram. After studying it, they concluded that the father was a type 8, the boss. The mother is a type 1, she is a perfectionist, And the daughter is a type 7. She is an enthusiast. Now, they want to finish parenting their child well. So when they discovered that she was a 7, they studied up on what it meant to be a 7. And they found out that it was called an enthusiast and that an enthusiast loves to dream of possibilities. And they love to imagine the best. They are outgoing and friendly. And because they are part of the five, six, seven triad, all these experiences, these multitude of experiences, they cover a fear of aloneness and vulnerability. Now, we all fear aloneness and we all fear vulnerability, but the sevens fear it in a unique way, unique to sevens. And as a result, it's very hard for them to postpone any kind of gratification and to stay in the present. The present is never good enough for them. It is to be feared. In addition to learning how the daughter was likely experiencing her life, they also learned that their type affects the way they relate to her. Now, without the Enneagram, it is possible that the conclusions they would have come to naturally would have been the daughter was immature, the daughter was scattered, the daughter was rebellious. She just needs to grow up. She just needs to be like me. And the mother would say, she needs to be linear like me and get things done. And the father would have said, she needs to be like me. She needs to be serious. 
Now, without the Enneagram, could these parents have possibly ever figured these things out? Could they have possibly come to the conclusions that they are now at? No matter how devout or obedient or receptive they are to Christ, they could have never come up with this wisdom. So this is an example of the practical benefits of learning the Enneagram. Now we're going to talk about the spiritual philosophical base. We all think that we're seeing 360 degrees, but in fact our reality is determined by our bias, and our bias becomes our false identities. We clutch onto these biases, these false identities, because we have abandoned our soul, our soul child. Our soul child is that part of us that was born knowing God. We were made in his image. Having forgotten what we knew, we then fiercely defended our false identities and we became deceitful. We became trapped. So now we're going to go through each type and we're going to find out how our false identities manifest themselves. We're going to find out what part of God did we used to know and what is it that each of us has forgotten. We're going to go through each type because... Remember, we are each type. We are all each type. So as you listen, don't just try and figure out which type you are. We'll do that on Wednesdays. I want you to listen to each type because each type is you. The other thing that we're going to do is I'm going to switch now and we're going to go from the left side of the brain to the right side of the brain. We're going to go to story. Left side of the brain is information, right side of the brain is story. And we're going to go to story now, all right? Story. Type 1s. Type 1s start off resentful and demanding because as children, they could not maintain their idyllic and true image of a beautiful and perfect world. They move into overdrive to protect their deep and sad disappointment. I will make it perfect anyway, they say, but now in a narrow, moralistic way. They once knew the grandeur of it all, the majesty of God. They judge and critique joy now precisely because they once knew joy so deeply. Type 2. Type 2s have learned to demand that they be noticed and loved. Because as children, they in fact did know that they were special and central. They were the beloved of the universe. When they could not maintain this truth, they became envious, manipulative, needy. Needy of the love of others in order to try and reconvince themselves of the truth they already deeply knew. Others must and will love me, they demand, Instead of resting in the love that they already are loved, they once knew the loveliness of it all, the beauty of God. Now they compete with anybody else who is the center of attention because at a soul level, they know they are chosen. And they are. Type 3. Type 3 need endless successes 
and feedback to reassure themselves against a very honest and realistic insecurity. They once knew the vulnerability of all things and that only the endurance of God can withstand the passing of all things. They are afraid to say yes and cooperate with the disillusion and death of all things unless they reconnect with the permanence and endurance of God. They know that all is unstable, passing, and non-necessary without God and truth. I will prove by competence and overproduction that I will not fall apart, they say, instead of resting in the impermanence and fallibility that they deeply know and yet fear. Type 4s. They try desperately to create an an outer world of self-created symmetry. In fact, they demand it of life and are often dogmatic and controlling about what is acceptable and what is not. They will not participate in an ugly world because they once knew a whole and perfect world. While pretending to be free and original, they are deeply bound by an inner set of absolute criteria about what is good and what is not good. I will be special, is their mantra, of a person who once knew a perfect cosmology of which they were an essential part. They once knew the eternal wholeness slash nothingness of God and how it included and incorporated the dark They tried to make it happen in the world of forms and symbols, but seldom let themselves enjoy it. They refuse to return to the garden. Instead, they just make movies about it. Type fives. They go inside and in the mind to find the power that they were denied or denied themselves in the external world. They deeply want power and control but denied themselves the external fight and decided to discover it in the world of ideas and information where they could be powerful. Their primal experience was, in fact, of the absolute power of God and the genius of controlling all the parts of one working universe. Instead of taking on this divine genius, they decided to conquer by quietly waiting and listening and learning about all the parts. Yet their power is in the now. Type sixes. They have chosen an entirely defensive posture against their knowing, which was true and perfect presence. Instead of resting in the full presence of God, instead of trustingly being held by being, they insist on forcing the issue. I will assure it. I will prove it. I will maintain it, they say. They once held an image of an utterly reconciled and peaceful world, a benevolent universe, and instead of trusting God, they tried to manufacture it. They produced laws and authority and structures of certitude. They are most defended against what they already know to be true. It is okay. Type sevens lived in a world of enoughness and in a world of satisfaction and essence. 
They usually admit to an early kind of quiet fantasy world where all was explained and had meaning and grounding. They dreamed alone and apart, and it was a secure universe. When this security was threatened, they decided on a one-sided response. I will simply outdo God. I will make it all positive and no negative. I will not carry the dark side, they say. They once knew God as utterly satisfying, but now they insist on enjoying God in an incomplete way. They will not accept that God's foundation included and incorporated the negative. They must go back to the true and full foundation and still enjoy. (coughs) Type 8s began at the soul level as needy children who decided to hate and reject and deny and then project that neediness everywhere else so they don't have to cry over it inside of themselves. I will never cry, they say. I will make others cry, but I will protect the little ones from crying because the little ones are within themselves. Their primal knowing was that God was warmth and food and protection and empathy, along with a total understanding of how weak and needy and hungry we all are. But they somehow decide to do God's work for him. I will partner with everybody and everything, and I will take away this horrible aloneness, this unnecessary sadness, this unjust world, because I know it to be softer and kinder than it appears. And they do. They are defended against compassion because they deeply know that God is, God must be, and God was once for them, compassionate and understanding. Instead of floating in this river, They try to push the river, or sometimes they try to create the river. Type 9s once knew that it was all about love, all connected, operative, and effective. They knew an optimism and motivation that all could be worked out and fixed because God was love. And love changes everything, and love resolves everything, and therefore can be resolved. It is an effective and workable universe. When this does not happen, they give up. They stop trying to find any other pattern. If love does not work, then it is basically an incoherent universe, and I want out. Or if I can't get out, I'm not going to cooperate, they say. Now, nines are used in spite of themselves, as we all are. We enjoy them, but they tend to not enjoy themselves. All right, we're going to conclude with this thought. The entire Enneagram typology leads to the tenth quality of God, the feminine Sophia, the wisdom of God. Each of us knows something deeply, and all cognition is finally recognition, recognition, to know again. All conversion is turning around or turning back, knowing something that we deeply know and yet resist knowing. We are our only and worst enemy. No wonder most people cry at the moment of grace and transformation. 
The mystery of God's revelation is hidden inside each of us in a unique way. Each of us is like a baby in the womb, yet unborn and unrecognized and unloved. Like Jacob waking from his long dream, we say, Truly God was in this place, and I never knew it. Truly God was in me, and I never knew him. So Jesus became the human one who believed the divine image in himself, who trusted it and followed it and told us to do the same. We must not kill or deny the partial image within us. But like Mary, allow it to be born, even if our souls are only staples. So I want us to spend a moment. I want you to sit quietly, and I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go within. Find that spot of you that is your center going to give you a minute to find your center. It's not in your knees. It's not in your head. Find your center. And now I want you to imagine that you're sitting across from the Holy Spirit. I want you to sit close enough to the Holy Spirit where you can reach over and hold his hands. And as you're holding his hands, I want you to talk to him. And here is what I want you to say to him. Holy Spirit, please forgive me for preferring my own story over your story. Please forgive me for preferring my false illusion to your true illusion. Your too good to be true story please forgive me for taking on a false identity and preferring it to your identity I yield to you my story and I receive from you your story your not too good to be true story 